0: Welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show, relevant conversations for business owners of today.
1: Sight. It awakens us to the present moment, guides us through essential daily tasks, shows us the road immediately ahead, and a future we can only hope to witness. Sight gives us hope but retinal diseases can take our sight away along with the hope that goes with it. At Iveric Bio, we see a world where vision is preserved. Our mission is to deliver transformational therapies for people with retinal diseases so they can live with hope in sight. The freedom to drive, the ability to work, The comfort of looking into a loved one's eyes. Or the simple confidence to knowingly say, I see. Ivaric Bio. Hope. Insight.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. April Jasper, and welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show. So this is a special time, a special podcast, and the reason is that I have a special guest. I've said special way too many times, I think, but that's okay, (laughs) Katie will forgive me. And her name is Dr. Katie Spear. So what you don't know about Katie is she is one of my best friends in the entire world. And I'm glad to have a best friend who's an attorney because that comes in really handy at times. (laughs) But anyway, Katie, I just want everybody to know a little bit more about you. Besides being an attorney, you're also an optometrist, which is pretty uh, rare and exciting so tell everyone a little bit about you your practices and why you decided to go into law school
2: well I just want to say I'm super excited to be here talking with you tonight April it's been a long time coming so I'm excited to be on your podcast (laughs) um so I'll give you my backstory you know it but I'm sure most people don't um so my husband Carl and I had several practices in the panhandle of Florida Uh, For many years, actually, we had um, combined ophthalmology and optometry practices. Um, We sold those in 2016. We actually sold them while I was in law school. Um, Didn't really have an intent to sell them, but thought, man, you know, I'm going to do law full time after this. It's probably a good time to kind of ease out of the, you know, practice management side of optometry. So um, we sold them in 2016, and then I continued with law school.
0: Okay, so now you're in law school, and yes. you uh, law school's not as easy as people might think. I'm guessing you'll tell us a little bit about that. But then you have to take the bar. Is that how you say it?
2: Yeah, yeah, the bar, and that's lots of fun.
0: <laughs> so you are technically barred, not barred from optometry, but barred into.
2: Yes. Help uh, me uh, out here. So yeah, so when you get done with law school, then you got to go take the bar, and the, it's kind of similar to optometry school in that. Um, each state has their own bar. Now there are certain states that actually have a uniform bar, but uh, unfortunately, Florida does not. So I took the Florida bar. I am barred in Florida, um, and then I went and took the Alabama bar. So I'm barred in Alabama, Tennessee, and Maryland.
0: It's just funny to me to hear you say it barred, like that. But uh, every time you did that, I know I was nervous for you, but obviously you did fabulous and. It just speaks to the fact that you're really good at everything you set your mind to. But uh, on that point, let's keep going. But why? Tell us why you went to law school.
2: So, I, well, I guess my husband would tell you it's because I like to debate, but <laughs> really it wasn't the reason. Um, actually, it started many years ago. Um, my mom was actually a legal secretary. And she thought that I should become an attorney because I really did like to debate people. Um, but I really like science and medicine. And so I thought I, I, I really, you know, I like law, but I really want to be a doctor. So yeah. I chose that path. And then when I had my practices, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll do a law school one day. And then one year we were, I, I, I kid you not, it was one calendar year where we were involved in an OSHA audit a um, HIPAA audit and a Department of Labor audit all in one year. And wow. yeah, I lost sleep at night because I was so worried about what I didn't know that I could be doing wrong. You know, you yeah. think if, I don't think any of us or not many of us do things wrong intentionally, um, but there's a lot of things that we just may not know or maybe right. things changed somewhere along the way. And you were told something, you know, one year and then several years later, it's different. And so for me, that not knowing really bothered me. And I was at a meeting and started looking at seeing, you know, could I go to law school? And then, you know, my husband said, I, I think you should do it. So I took the LSAT and then I took the LSAT and then a couple of months later applied and then started and unbelievable. August 2015. So yeah, it was fun.
0: And we all thought you were crazy, but it turns out we're really glad you went through this whole process because you really think different now, I think you do, than maybe what you did before. So take us there. Tell us how having a law degree and being an optometrist changes the way you think about practice, because as you told everybody, you now have three practices again.
2: Oh, no, I didn't tell everybody that. Oh, you didn't tell (laughs) them. So... I feel like optometry is like the mafia, like once you get in, you can't get out. So uh, <laughs> I had to come back in it because I love our profession. I think our profession, I know our profession is full of really genuine people, like people that that really care about their yeah. patients. And so yeah. I really like practice ownership and practice management. And so when I had the opportunity to come in and purchase a few practices, and then I opened one cold last year, I thought this is what I'm going to do because i really I really like owning and managing practices. And so um, I do have three locations right now in the panhandle of Florida. Um, What makes me a little different is I've never, I'm I'm risk averse, I would say, and I (laughs) always have been. And I think I am more so now than I was in the past. It um, changes my focus on how I do things in my practice. I think that I was probably good at documenting, you know, everything before, but maybe even more so now, because if you've been to any of my lectures, I always talk about documenting, documenting, and documenting, because you can't have too much documentation.
0: Yep, I absolutely understand that, and yet I don't know that we're all so good at it. I've even heard people say and seen it on social media networks and channels, you know what, that'll never happen to me, and so, Never happened to you. Trust me, when it happens to you, you'll wish that you'd followed the advice that uh, Katie gives you. But so, Katie, what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to give you some information. So, I want you to act as a lawyer now, and I want to give you information, and I want you to help me as an optometrist think about how I need to use this information. So, we're going to do this a little different. All right. So here we go. So as optometrists, I think one of the things that's pretty unique is that we're in the eye care field and you might think that there isn't a lot of innovation and maybe there hasn't been in some areas for a while, but one of the areas where we have seen innovation is in that of geographic atrophy. So I want to read to you so that our listeners know as well what some of the latest research is. And then I want you to help me kind of place that in what I should be thinking about as I think about my office. You ready?
2: Okay. All
0: right. So geographic atrophy, which you hear now always called GA. So GA is an advanced form of dry age-related macular degeneration, AMD. And it's characterized by the loss of photoreceptors and retinal pigment epithelial cells in the macula. So progression of GA ultimately leads to permanent vision loss and deterioration of quality of life. So we know And we have known for years that GA is bad. You see it in a patient. And I think in the past, probably, you know, you as well, you see it and you you don't really know what to tell a patient almost because in the past there was nothing we could do about it. Right. So the development of GA, what they found now in more research is hypothesized to be the culmination of oxidative stress, genetic predisposition. So just having bad genes and environmental influences. So the accumulation of cellular byproducts from these processes triggers this inflammation and cell death through various pathways, including what they call the complement cascade. So what we know is that GA most often starts in the perifoveal region, spares the fovea, and over time, it basically gets worse. And the way a lot of people describe it is it relentlessly progresses both outward and to the uh, fovea, inward. And then of course, we know that once it hits the fovea, we have vision loss. Right. So in the past, we basically knew there was nothing we could do about it. So the big ethical dilemma was, what do I tell a patient? How do I tell them they have this condition that I can't help them with? And we really didn't know a timeline on how fast it would progress. But now we have drugs such as that which Iveric Bio has come up with called Icervay. And it's been approved for the treatment of geographic atrophy secondary to AMD. Treatment, by the way, in case anyone hasn't heard about it, is in the form of an intravitreal injection. It targets the source of retinal cell death and may preserve the upstream benefits of the complement system. All right, so I'm gonna stop there and ask Katie. So now that we... Have a treatment for GA, something that can be done, even though we're not the ones doing the injections, what is our responsibility? And really what should we be thinking about?
2: So I think that's a really good question, April. Um, so what this does is it essentially starts changing the standard of care for geographic atrophy. Yeah. Anytime you have a new treatment especially a new treatment where we had no treatment before, you know, there wasn't really anything that we could do to right. um, stop it. And so we just watched patients get worse. Right. Yeah. Now that you actually have something to treat it with, it's imperative for us as optometrists because, you know, most op- most patients come through our offices. Um, it's Im- important for us to not only diagnose patients now, but also ensure that they act, they get the proper referral, and on time, because we know that the referral has to be timely in order to get this treatment to prevent that progression, that loss of vision.
0: So the two clinical studies, and I don't know that we told anybody about this either, Katie, so what is one of your other degrees in?
2: Uh, public health and epidemiology. So. So you've done a
0: few clinical studies in your time, right? I've
2: done a lot of research over my time. I started in a USDA lab in college, uh, working on catfish, if you can believe it. But um, yeah, it's weird. (laughs) But then through through optometry school and my master's degree, and and even in my offices, I've done research on dry eye, contact lenses. Um, solutions, uh, myopia control, uh, a whole slew of research. I think that research is so important for us um, mm-hmm. in medicine to not only keep keep up with it. You know what is right. what's being developed, but also when you have a new treatment to to in, be able to introduce it to your patients. Um, I like to talk, use research to educate doctors. Like when I'm given continuing education, obviously, and the doctors in my practices, but also my patients. I think that's very important for us to to be involved with and to keep up with.
0: So what do you think the value is? I mean, you sort of said it, but what do you think the value is in having clinical studies to back up what you do? How do patients feel about that? And, you know, you said you use it to kind of educate your patients, but what do you think the value is overall?
2: It lends an air credibility to you, right? And to what you're saying. Because it's not just Katie's thought that this might be a good thing for you. It is actually truly based on you know proper, done right research. And I think that's, that's really important for us to educate our patients on. Because sometimes, especially if they've had something that they've had for a while or they've heard yeah. before that it couldn't be treated or there was nothing to do for it, to educate them on what is current and, and what those studies actually say can be done for them.
0: Absolutely. Well, let me read you the studies because I want everyone, all our listeners to hear it as well. So the approval of ISERVAY was based on two phase three clinical trials. They are gather one and gather two. They both evaluated the safety and efficacy of monthly two milligram intravetrial injections. So over a 12 month period in both trials, ISERVAY showed a statistically significant reduction in the rate of geographic atrophy growth. Slowing of the disease progression was observed as early as six months with up to a 35% reduction in the first year of treatment. So wow. what is the uh, takeaway message, do you think, there?
2: Uh, I think you've got to find the patients. <laughs> so yes. one is is diagnosing the patient um, timely, like I said. And then two, making the proper and timely referral so that we um, we do what's right for the patient and we do what's right for us, too. So how do you so how do you diagnose geographic atrophy? What do you use in your practice, April?
0: Yeah, I think what's really cool about this whole I the whole the whole process and the fact that we have now a treatment option for GA is that we also have the diagnostic capability probably in most of our offices already. So an OCT. So the two things that most people are looking at, and there's gonna obviously be a lot of research that comes out, but the two methodologies for early detection are really hyper-transmission areas on OCT Mm -hmm. and then fundus autofluorescence, what what that'll show if you have the ability to do fundus or FAF is what people call it, but it'll show hypo-autofluorescent or dark appearing areas. And so I think that's, those are the two things that we really wanna look at is what can we find on our OCT? And then if you have FAF, that's where you're going to be able to tell early that you have any signs and can diagnose GA.
2: So I would I would say too, you know, if you don't have an OCT in your practice, but you have a patient who you are suspicious for this, you do have a duty to refer that patient for um, testing, either to an optometrist who has an OCT who can, you know, follow the patient or, or diagnose the patient or to a retinal specialist too. So just because you don't have the OCT doesn't mean that you don't have a duty to diagnose it. And now that we have treatment, it's very important for us to diagnose this early rather than later.
0: So the median time, I thought this was interesting as well, from diagnosis to foveal involvement is two and a half years. Wow. So when you think about how often a patient comes back to the practice, Katie and I do a lot of uh, talk, a lot, lot of speaking on contact lenses. And so we know the average time from a patient coming back when they wear glasses the first time to the second time is how much, remind me again, it's two, yeah, year. two years.
2: No, I but, think it was more like three, wasn't it?
0: I think it was two and a half to three, yeah. And so now you take a patient where they come in the first time you and they might have geographic atrophy, you don't diagnose it, they're probably not gonna be back in the office before that could end up involving the fovea. right. So that's kind of the way I like to look at this too, is how important it is to diagnose this right away. Now there's something that can be done and you truly can add, I, I love how I heard a, one of the retina specialists I talked to today, he says, if you refer as soon as you diagnose a GA lesion, you can add several years of central vision to a patient's life.
2: Wow, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, I think when we when we look at it that way, it really changes what is my protocol? What's my process going to be in my practice to make sure this is one of those things I definitely don't miss for my patients.
2: And that's why it's important to really get that referral in.
0: Yeah. And that's actually when we think, think of the high points, walk me through what you think now. So Katie, go back to that attorney cap, but the beautiful thing about you is not just that you're beautiful, but also that you, uh, (laughs) that you also are an optometrist. So what are the things, let's give everybody a couple of points they really need to remember in this whole conversation about GA. What are those high points?
2: So one, um, diagnose it and diagnose it early. If you don't have an OCT that you can use to diagnose it or you know, you're suspicious, you need to get the patient seen. I would refer, I, but, but I refer um, if I have a question about anything because I think that it's in the best interest of the patient and, and my best interest too from a legal standpoint to make sure that I know exactly what's going on with that patient. So refer and refer early. And I think it helps to have a good relationship with your, you know, your retina specialist. You call them and say, hey, I I, I hear this is a new treatment. Okay, what what are you looking for? You know, when do you want me to see it? How quick can I get patients in? Because, you know, sometimes we call to get a patient in, and it can be delayed, and the patient doesn't get there for a few weeks. I think also it's really important to make sure that when you do refer a patient that you educate them on how important it is that they go to that appointment because it is so timely because they showed that you can spare the vision um, if you, if the patient gets there in a timely manner. So it's really important to educate your patient that, Hey, I'm making this referral. You've got to make it the appointment. And if you have a problem with getting in or something happens, you got to let me know and I will, you know, we'll make sure that you get there because um it is important that the patient actually goes to
0: the point right absolutely and you know it it makes me think of we know the compliance rate for people that have glaucoma and are given drops is very low but i really feel like these patients they understand that this is a disease that is going to that in the past didn't have a treatment now it right. does and if right. they don't do something that they're going to have a problem down the road and i think too it the other thing I'm always concerned about is that as optometrists, we'll think of this as we do diabetic retinopathy and wait until their vision is affected when it actually is the worst thing you could do.
2: Right. So anytime you have a suspicion, you just need to refer it. Cover yourself. <laughs> Cover yourself and do the best thing for the patient.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Katie, I am so glad you were here with me. And just so all of you know that are that are listening and watching today. We're going to have Katie back because I think, as you can see from listening to this, it's really good for us to think about things a little different. All of us love our patients and we all want the best results for them. But many times we just kind of sometimes I think we even let our patients get the best of us and we let them say, yeah, I don't know if I really want to go and we don't fight that battle. And I think that's another lesson for me is is to really just know that I need to make sure they understand it's now, or it could be never. And that's how important it is to get that referral done. So Katie, as we close out anything, any last thoughts or uh, words you'd like to leave everybody with so that we can make sure that everybody's in a good place here with geographic atrophy, diagnosis, treatment, referral.
2: That's what I would say, diagnosis, document. Okay. (laughs) Document, educate, and refer, right? I love it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, April. Thank you.